Hello, this is Pastor Abraham Bellinger, and I'm so happy that you took the opportunity to download our podcast for First Fruits Community Church. I was so excited because I'm doing a series to really dig into the new birth experience to help you get an understanding uh, what it means to be saved, why we need to be saved, what does Jesus say about being saved, what does the Bible say about being saved. So let's continue this journey. Uh, we're going to take a little time today to just kind of hear what what Christ uh, was saying to Nicodemus and we're going to look also at a couple other passages of scripture concerning you know when two groups of people ask what they needed to do to be saved so hopefully in doing so you'll be able to get a little bit better understanding what the Bible says and we'll continue this journey and um, please make sure you share this podcast with someone and also to help us continue to do stuff like this uh, we would love your donations. Uh, we would appreciate if you would sow into our ministry so we can continue to grow. You can easily do that right on your phone. Just text FFCC to 77977 and make a donation of any amount. And look, not only will we be grateful, but the people of God will be very thankful. And I know God will be pleased in your giving and in your sacrifice. So let's get down to business and talk a little bit about this conversation that Jesus Christ had with Nicodemus. So in John chapter 3, uh, we see a very good conversation going on between this Jewish uh, religious leader named Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. Now Nicodemus was a master of the law. He knew the law of God really, really well. But he came to Jesus one night and acknowledged Jesus Christ as a master teacher from God. Now when Jesus replied to Nicodemus, he said, Surely, surely I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's John chapter 3, verse 3. Now, Nicodemus, he didn't understand this because he asked the Lord then, you know, how could a man be born a second time from his mother's womb? Right? Now, we know that's not what Jesus was talking about. So, he confirms it by replying back to Nicodemus and saying, Surely, surely, I, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what Jesus was doing, he was pointing towards a new time, a new, a new age of salvation in which the kingdom of God would soon be revealed. And then every person who wished to enter into that kingdom would need to be born again, right? Born of the water, born of the spirit, just like Jesus said. So, I mean, this kingdom, which I like to call the king's dominion, what is it? What is this whole kingdom of God? What, how does it relate to salvation? Well, you know, when we look at the words, uh, it really talks about the kingdom being the sovereign rule of God in the universe. And when we dig deeply into this kingdom, we find out that the kingdom of God has present aspects to it and future aspects to it, just like salvation does. So like in the present time right now, the kingdom of God is the sovereign rule of God in our hearts, right? In the hearts of men, in the hearts of women, it is the sovereign rule of God within our hearts. See, Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand, right? In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus said, look, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, uh, neither shall they say, look here or look there. Why? Well, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. 
That's Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. So this whole aspect of the kingdom came into existence when God sent his spirit to dwell in the hearts of believers. In other words, like what Paul said, that the kingdom of God is not meat, it is not drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. All right, I'm going to say that again. Romans 14, 17 says that the kingdom of God is not meat, it's not drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the whole present kingdom of God actually consists of all the riches of eternal of his eternal kingdom temporarily come down into this world through his spirit. And where does his spirit abide? Not in the air, not in the breeze, but he actually lives and abides within us. He's everywhere at all times, but the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So the kingdom of God is within. Right? The kingdom of God is also a future aspect right we look towards that that one day god is going to completely destroy all opposition to his rule and he'll show and display his whole kingship in every aspect and facet of the universe so his kingdom is going to literally physically come to this earth in a thousand year reign with jesus christ and it will be established throughout eternity when he judges all the sinners and then he'll also establish his kingdom in the creation of a new heaven a new earth that is without sin we got the new jerusalem right that's that place that jesus said i go to prepare a place for you so so what we see is god rids everything of sin and establishes his eternal kingdom throughout all creation because you know you know sin is really rebellion against god and so god's kingdom is going to find its perfect expression only when all sin is judged and when all sin is eliminated. Now we know uh, the book of Revelation, uh, the revealing of Jesus Christ describes the future kingdom. Uh, Revelations 11 and 15 says, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign how long? Forever and ever. He also says that in that day, voices are going to proclaim that the Lord God omnipotent reigns, and that Jesus will be the king of kings, Jesus will be the Lord of Lords. And guess what? He will occupy the throne throughout eternity. Now, when we look at the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 3, and we apply it to the whole concept of the kingdom of God, then we, we find that, that a person, a man, a woman, a child, has to be born again in order to partake either of its temporary present manifestation or the eternal manifestation of the kingdom of God. Nobody in this world can have the spiritual rule of God in their life until they are born of the water and of the spirit. Nobody can have that joy, that peace, that righteousness in the spirit until that person is born of the water, born of the spirit. Just like Jesus said, nobody in this present age, this time that we live in right now in 2018, nobody can enter into God's eternal kingdom, which is the new heaven and the new earth. Unless they are born of the water, born of the Spirit. So in short, the, the Lord Jesus, when he spoke to Nicodemus, he tells us how to be saved right there. Now, present salvation gives us freedom from the, the dominion and penalty of sin. And just really clearly means that we enter into the kingdom of God. We submit to his rule. We receive his righteousness through the blood of Jesus and through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And then our future salvation is made up of our eternal life that's free from sin and free from the consequences of sin. And it just clearly simply means that we enter into the future kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth that will be free of all rebellion against God's rule. Could you imagine that? Oh, man, I just I can't. I look forward to that day. While at the same time, I'm kind of like Paul praying that, Lord, you know, I, I want I need a little bit more time so I can reach more souls. But the question really is then how again, how can I be saved? That question has been asked throughout the eons of time since the gospel. How can I enter into the kingdom of God? Well, the answer of Jesus Christ himself is very simple, very clear. Can't get past it. You must be born again of water and the spirit. So let's let's take a look at the first group of people that actually asked this question. What must I do to be saved? In Acts uh, chapter 1 Jesus Christ gave his followers, uh, his disciples, last-minute instructions just before he rose into heaven, just before he ascended uh, into the heights of the heaven. And he, he told the disciples, he said, go to Jerusalem and do what? Wait for the promise of the Father. Now, that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father. About 120 disciples obeyed Jesus and they, they got together in the, in the upper room in Jerusalem. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, that on the feast day of Pentecost, on that Jewish feast day of Pentecost, we see the promise of this spirit baptism coming to pass. Uh, many people in the city began to gather around the disciples. Uh, they were attracted and drawn in by the supernatural sound that, that, that followed this first outpouring of the spirit. And they were just blown away by the foreign languages supernaturally spoken by those who had just received the Holy Spirit baptism. Remember, they were speaking in tongues and spirit. God gave utterance. Now, what Peter did is he jumped up on that situation. He he seized the opportunity. I believe the Holy Spirit moved upon him greatly to preach his first message to this whole crowd. And, and when he stood up with all the other apostles at the same time, he began to start to expound and explain what, what just happened, not only to him, but to the rest that were gathered there. And what did he do? He proclaimed to the multitude that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who they crucified, he was the Lord and he, is, he was the Christ. He's, he's both Lord and Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And when the crowd heard that, they began to feel the guilt of crucifying him, the conviction of sin, uh, because many of them demanded the crucifixion of Jesus, maybe less than two months before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, because they were convicted, uh, when they heard Peter's message, they asked Peter and they asked the rest of the apostles, Acts 2 and 37 says, men, brethren, what shall we do? What's the response? What, what do I need to do? And so when we look at it in context, what they were really asking is, how can we receive forgiveness for our sin? How can we get this thing right? How can we get right with God? How can we correct the wrong we have done in rejecting Jesus as our Messiah and, 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 and crucifying Yeshua? How, how, do we, how do we get past this? How do we get forgiven? How can we now accept him? as our Lord and as our Messiah. 
So you see, the whole essence, the whole foundation of salvation is receiving forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. So their question meant, what must we do to be saved? And watch this now, okay? The Apostle Peter, remember, Jesus gave him the keys to open the kingdom to all people. All right? He said, upon this rock, I, you, you know, I'll build my church. The gates of hell should not prevail against it. What rock? Well, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He gave Peter the keys to open the door to the body of Christ, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so when Peter hears these people say, what must I do to be saved? Peter answers, and this answer is for all of us. He says, repent and be baptized. He didn't say repent. And then if you want to, as an outward symbol of uh, your repentance, be baptized. You know, he said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, when we search for, as we're searching for this biblical answer to the question of how to be saved, we have to really attach huge meaning and significance to this verse. It's very clear. It's very plain. It's very simple. It's, it's unambiguous. It's a direct answer to a direct question. It's the answer that had the full endorsement of the apostles. All the apostles stood along with Peter supporting his response. It's, it's, the, it's the climax of the first sermon of the New Testament church. The first sermon ever preached after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a commentary that says that we have, in short, the summary of all Christian teaching and doctrine as regards man and God. So, Acts 2 and 38 is the authoritative answer of the question, what must I do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul also had an answer to uh, the Philippian jailer. If we kind of fast forward and look at another situation where this question, what must I do to be saved, comes up. Acts chapter 16, 16 lets us know that the magistrates of Philippi, uh, which was a city up in Macedonia, they, they put Paul and Silas in jail because they were preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was at midnight when Paul and Silas prayed, when they sang praises to God, that an earthquake shook the prison and all the doors flew open. And when they woke up, when the jailer woke up, they realized what happened. Uh he, he thought he, he the jailer thought the prisoners escaped and so he was afraid now for his own life because the Romans did not play around he was given the responsibility to make sure that these men don't escape so when he thinks they're gone he draws a sword on himself he's gonna kill himself but as he pulled out his sword to cut his own throat or fall on it the Apostle Paul shouts out don't harm yourself all of us are here Acts 16 and 28. And when the jailer heard it, he called for a light. He's like, bring the light, bring the lamp. And then he went to go check this thing out for himself. And when he realized all the people were still there, he came trembling. And he fell down at the feet of the apostle Paul and Silas. And he realized that they were the ones responsible for this huge earthquake because they were praying and fasting and singing praises unto God. And so he brings them out. He takes them out and he says, 
Paul, sir, sir, Apostle Paul, Silas, what must I do to be saved? And guess what they said? They replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your house. Now the Bible further records that they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night. Okay, listen to this. And washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced believing in God with all his house. So when we look at this passage in context, you can't just take one scripture and say, this is what you need to do to be saved. You got to look at the whole context of it all. When we look at Paul and Silas, how he told the jailer that the path to his future salvation was through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is exactly right. Now, we can presumably, presumably the jailer was a Gentile because he was a Roman. We assume that he was a Gentile and he didn't really know a whole lot about God. Now, unlike the Jews on the day of Pentecost, he probably didn't understand terminology like repentance and baptism and the Holy Ghost. And not only that, but this was like a crisis, man. This was a crazy situation with no time for a big, long sermon or, or a big, detailed explanation. He needed to be shown the right direction real quick and in a hurry. So the Apostle Paul and Silas told him in the most simple way possible how he could receive future salvation simply by believing on Jesus instead of on pagan gods and idols. So at, at this message, right, when, when they give him the information, the jailer takes them to his home, okay, gives them the opportunity to tell this message to his whole household. And look, they did not stop with that whole general statement, but they preached the word of God with very specific messages, right? Uh, and as a result of this message, the jailer, what happened? He got baptized. He got baptized the same hour, and he received an experience that caused him to rejoice. Now, one translation says, he leaped much for joy and exalted. That's Acts chapter 16, verse 38. All of this happened when he believed on the Lord and when he believed the word of the Lord. And so it is very instructive. It's very mind opening and so important to study the Greek word in this passage of scripture that's translated as believe. The reason why I say this is because it's not talking about just a mental understanding of, oh, I believe, and some type of thought where, yes, okay, I believe what you're saying is true, but it, it, it really is forcefully asserting an absolute reliance and adherence to what's being said. Now, the whole biblical definition of belief includes acceptance of God's word and obedience to it. As a matter of fact, the Amplified Bible tells us uh, that the phrase believe on the Lord Jesus Christ really means to have an absolute personal reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And uh, it also says in the Amplified Bible in Acts 16.31, and they answered, believe in and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, give yourself up to him, take yourself out of your own keeping, and trust yourself into his keeping, and guess what? You'll be saved. And this applies both to you and your household as well. So, in order to get a, a thorough understanding of this, we need to examine the significance that Peter attached to the phrase, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. On one occasion, he tells the Gentiles 
that had received the Holy Ghost, the same as the Jews received, believe on the Lord Jesus. And so he linked faith in Jesus Christ with receiving the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul taught that the kingdom of God includes joy in the Holy Ghost, right? And although it's not specifically stated in Acts chapter 16 that the Philippian jailer received the Holy Ghost, the reference to his joy, remember, there's joy in the Holy Ghost, the reference to that joy may indicate that he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So when we, when we look at all this, right, <clears throat> we, we have to compare these three answers. We've discussed this whole question. How, how can I be saved? In the light of three of the most prominent messages on the subject in the Bible. The Bible uses different language in each passage. So since the Bible is inspired by God, it's the infallible word of God, we know it doesn't contradict itself. And since God wants everybody to know about salvation and find out about sal salvation and be saved, then we know the Bible must be very clear and very unambiguous on the subject of salvation. And so despite differences in wordings, these three passages that we look over and analyze, they cannot be contradictory or confusing. Instead, we have to believe that each answers the question correctly. In other words, each gives the same answer in different terms, from different viewpoints, and really in different situations, but it's the same answer nonetheless. It is the exact same answer. So let me demonstrate how this is, this is so, okay? Uh, when, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, when he was having that conversation at nighttime, he, wasn't, he was not answering a direct question about salvation. Instead, what Jesus Christ was doing, he was describing God's plan of salvation for future New Testament church that was about to come into existence. Why do I say that as well? The Holy Spirit was not yet given at that time. And the Holy Spirit would not be given until after Jesus Christ rises and ascends into the heavens. Now, Jesus Christ's purpose was to give Nicodemus what he needed to know and to motivate him to believe in who he was and what his mission was. Right? John 3.16 says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have uh, eternal life. For God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All right. So he was giving Nicodemus the information he needed to motivate him to believe in who he was, but not at that time to impart the Holy Spirit into Nicodemus immediately. Now, when we fast forward and look at on the day of Pentecost, that was very different. All right, because because Peter now gives a direct answer to a direct question about salvation. The Spirit of God had been poured out. Peter Peter uh, intended for his answer to be very explicit, uh, to give very clear instructions, and for his answer to produce an immediate new birth. So now the people that were listening to Peter preach, they were Jews, right? They were they were Jewish proselytes. Most of them, if not all of them, who had heard about Jesus of Nazareth. And see, they were well acquainted with religious concepts, right? They were brought up in the law. They understand the terminology. Uh, they understood what Pentecost meant, all of those things. But Peter, so Peter was able to give them a very, very precise, very specific, very thorough answer in one single statement. 
And when we fast forward to Acts chapter 16, all right, remember another whole different situation is Paul and Silas now who confronts this Roman jailer, a man who didn't really pretty much know anything about God. He just tried to kill himself. He was recovering because he was afraid that that earthquake uh, had uh, opened those prison doors and let everybody go. And so that he was just he was just in awe of what had happened supernaturally. And so Paul and Silas answered his question in a very simple general way that would be understandable, right? That would be reassuring to him. They let him know that the way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Then what did they do? They explained the gospel in detail to him and his whole household. So, so the differences between these three passages really kind of grow from the different situations, but the content of, of each one is consistent with the others. Two passages speak of water baptism, and the third one refers to the birth of the water. Two passages speak of the work of the Spirit in salvation. And the third describes an experience that caused rejoicing, which is experienced when somebody receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only one of the three passages, if you noticed, explicitly mentions repentance. And only one really specifically mentions faith in Christ. But many other verses teach that both faith and repentance are prerequisites to salvation. You cannot have salvation without faith and repentance. So from all of this, what we, we summarize it and we bring it all together. We bring these three passages together and we see salvation comes only through repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith is going to lead you to water baptism in the name of Jesus, which is birth of water. And repentance and faith will also lead you to the baptism of this Holy Spirit. That's the birth of the Spirit. Now, look, there's tons of other verses that mention salvation that support this. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's, 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 it's stated very clearly in Scripture that salvation comes through the name of Jesus. That's Acts 4 and 12. Salvation comes through confession of Jesus as Lord, belief in his resurrection, and calling on his name. That's Romans chapter 10. Repent, uh, or salvation comes through uh, grace through faith. Uh, it comes by grace through faith. It comes through repentance. These, let, let me go back. I, I want to track, track back a little bit. I'm going to slow down, uh, and you can go back and listen to this again. But salvation comes through the name of Jesus. That's Acts 4 and 12. It also comes through confessing Jesus as Lord, belief in his resurrection, and calling on his name. That's Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. Salvation also comes by grace through faith Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 salvation comes through repentance that's 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 it comes through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth 2 Thessalonians 2:13 and it comes through obedience to Christ in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 so when we look at salvation uh, when, when we view this we, 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 we see that it's not contradictory, right? We see uh, these two complementary points of view. In other words, salvation has a minimum requirement. Salvation requires the new birth. That's the minimum requirement for every man, woman, and child. If you want to be saved, 
Jesus said you must be born again. There's a new birth that you have to experience. And salvation is a process of progressively appropriating God's grace throughout a continual life of faith and holiness. And so we're going to explain that. We're going to dig into that a little bit deeper um, as we see this fulfilled in our lives so that we, if, if we're to inherit eternal salvation, in other words, we will see both aspects fulfilled, the new birth and con- keeping that new birth in order to inherit eternal salvation. So from start to finish, our salvation rests on faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. If we have faith in him, if we have true belief, not just mental ascent, not just say, oh, yeah, I believe, but real true faith in what Jesus Christ did at the cross. If we have faith in him, it will cause us to repent of our sins, be baptized in his name and receive his Holy Spirit and continue to live a holy Christian life by faith and so it's that way that we will receive both present salvation from sin and future salvation from all the consequences of sin god bless you i really hope that you enjoyed this podcast and we will continue this journey as we start to talk about what does it look like to really understand and obey the gospel and uh what does it mean to appropriate all of what I just said in our lives, how do we get the new birth experience and how do we keep it? All right. Share this podcast with somebody else on social media. And again, if you feel moved by God, please help us to keep the word of God coming to you and to reach across the nations with this wonderful podcast with First Fruits Community Church. You can do this by texting FFCC to 77977 and sowing into our ministry today. Father, I ask that you bless them, keep them, cause your face to look upon them continually. In Jesus' name, amen.